can you put your personal assistant on the phone? Somebody asked me that when I said I was blind. You pay for one? Well, I wish I had a personal assistant. Um, there is not one here. My personal assistant is me. Me. I was like, she's on the phone right now. This is hi. You talk hi. This is Raven's personal assistant. Also, Raven. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about emotional safety of folks with disabilities. Lack thereof. I thought about this when I was watching a YouTube video and um, somebody was actually talking about a lot of the sacrifices that we have to make as disabled people, mm. right? Like there's this whole idea of disability tax and crypt yes. time and all these different Ugh. things, right? Yes. And one of the things they did not include, which was pointed out in the YouTube comments section, they were like, why didn't you talk about emotional safety and emotional labor? I thought, huh, that's very interesting. And in a sense, I kind of knew what they meant. I'm like, they must be talking about how our boundaries as disabled people are violated With all the time. People don't think twice about doing it. At all. They think, mm, we're going to get into it. <laughs> you want to let us know what emotional safety is, Olivia? Unfortunately, they talk about emotional safety as it relates to partnered relationships. But this is true in friendships and familiar relationships as well. It really can be applied to all relationships that people with disabilities or people in general have. It's a relationship where you can be yourself without judgment. We got a definition and it says emotional safety is feeling secure enough to truly express yourself with someone and show up as your most authentic self. And that resonated with both of us. That is what true emotional safety allows one to do mm -hmm. or encourages one to do. Yeah, this definitely has to be applied to any personal relationship or sometimes mm -hmm. casual relationships, because as disabled people, a lot of times we don't get the opportunity to be ourselves with our families Ooh, no. or with our friends or with certain friends or with mm -hmm. coworkers the way that other people do. We come up against a lot more judgment. And then also, there's a lot of times where I'm not myself because I don't want to have to explain. There's so many parts of my life I don't talk about with people because they're just not going to understand. And I, yes, I can help them understand. I can sit there and explain, but sometimes I don't want to. I don't want to explain. I just want people just who wanna be. get it and like yeah. don't make me describe what it is that I'm talking about. And so I'm just like, okay, they're not going to get it. I'm not even going to go into it right now. But then sometimes we make choices like that at the expense of our boundaries, um, which we'll oh get into. Oh, my God. Personally, I have not been myself because I didn't want to. Mm, it was a matter of safety or even acceptance. Mm -hmm. Safety and acceptance. Like, I can't be my authentic self in this arena because... I know these people won't like the real me. So I had to put on in order to get what I need while I'm here. Yeah, because we have to make choices based on, am I going to be able to get help from people? Mm -hmm. We have to move through the world very differently because of that, where I can't just be me regardless of what the fuck everybody else thinks and not give a fuck. There's consequences to that, especially when you're a disabled person. For sure. We have to think like, I do have to maintain relationships of utility. 
I like to call them. I like that. <laughs> I like that term, too, because there are relationships that we all have, non-disabled or disabled, where mm. it's a relationship based on what you can provide for the other person. And mm. there's not a very big companionship or friendship component to it. All of us have relationships like this. And I can't speak for all disabled people, but I do think I have more relationships like that than a lot of other folks. And I'm okay with admitting that. I feel for me, a lot of my relationships happen to be familial because I don't trust people. <laughs> and so I have a lot of issues with the familial relationships where emotional safety is questionable. I have a few where it's like, you know, understood and we're growing. But as far as like your relationships of utility, I actually don't have any, which is strange. I think that's more having to do with my personality and how I interact with people and the fact that I just don't trust people to have my back, I guess. A relationship of utility is not necessarily one based on trust. It's just like, oh, I know that I need this one thing or this one type of thing or this one type of service or this one type of support from you. And that's the main reason why I keep in touch with you. I don't want to make it seem like I have a bunch of these relationships. I have quite a few that I can think of. I think that's interesting. Also, too, our lifestyles are different, right? You live alone, so you probably are able to cultivate that or have to cultivate Yeah, I don't that. know. Like, I think about my relationships that I have with my neighbors, right? These are the relationships I'm thinking about. Right, right, right. I was thinking that as well. There are relationships I have with people in this building, and they're okay. But the primary reason I interact with those people is very selfish. Yeah. It is so that, you know, if anything ever happens, there's somebody looking out for my safety. Listen. I mean, there's times where I've helped them as well. Exactly. Um, and, and so, so it's not, just, it's not it's like not I just take, am a, a taker in their relationships, yes. right? I think that's different. That's what I thought you meant the whole time. Like mm -hmm. building a community of sorts, you know, for people who will notice if, if I go missing. Right. Yeah. When I lived by myself, I talked to no damn body. I talked to my neighbors oh. upstairs and they offered, you know, how people do like, hey, if you need anything. But I never actually believe them because that's just how I'm wired when it comes to people. When they say things, I'm like, yeah, sure. OK, none of my neighbors would have fucking known if I was dead in my bedroom, whereas somebody would probably notice for you. But that circles back around to not feeling safe to interact with people. But that's just me. That's not all disabled people. I guess, you know, I'll take back what I just said a couple minutes ago. I guess when you put it that way, it does require some trust on your part for me to say like, hey, there's my upstairs neighbor and he's actually a man. But um, when I went to get my second guide, I was like, I am not going to be in my apartment for three weeks. And some people would think sharing that type of information is not safe. But I shared it for a very specific reason. To me, it's weird that, hey, we see each other all the time. We live in the same building. And then all of a sudden, I'm not there. And so I want people to know that. There's also the case of, yeah, if you hear activity down here, though, it in a week me. and a half, and I said I was going to be gone for three <laughs> weeks, I need somebody to investigate what the fuck. <laughs> And be like, hey, did you come back? Right. That's my reason for sharing it, too, is there's a different safety component there where it's like, yes, I could be putting myself at risk and setting myself up for somebody breaking in here because they know that I'm gone. I told you. But we've been neighbors for 
over five years. So we right. trust each other with that type of stuff. But um, right. it's not to say he couldn't, but he doesn't. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not going to assume he's going to until he gives me a reason to. But see, and like you said, though, there is history. You guys have been living there for five years, whatever, whatever. You're not going to do that with the new person that just moved across the hall. No. Like, hey. Right. So that's different. Open season on Raven's apartment. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I have here some examples of boundaries that promote emotional safety. What are those? Now, listen, I love me some boundaries. I've just learned about them within the past like two years and I'm obsessed. Okay, that's my new love. Some of these boundaries include honoring what is important to you. What does that mean to you? Uh, your values, your privacy, your ability to be independent, right? When we're talking about emotional safety insofar as disabled people are concerned, I think like myself, one thing that is very important to me is my sense of independence. Yes. So when somebody doesn't respect that boundary or puts me in a situation where I can't exercise my independence as much as I would like to, that is where my emotional safety takes a hit. Or my sense of safety in general. I see that. I agree with those. Yeah. I would also say it's kind of a nebulous concept, but like just letting my true personality show, I guess, would be honoring what's important to me. Of course, values, of course, stances on things and being allowed, even if we don't agree, right? So say, mm -hmm. say like, um, I'm pro-choice and the other person is not. Not letting that be like, oh, well, I'm going to treat you differently or whatever because you don't believe as I do. And that's hard for most people. I will, I will concede that point. Yeah, because you can respect what people value without agreeing. Oh, people don't understand that. They do not. They equate agreement with respect. And the two, they're not synonymous. And you can still interact with people who do not agree with you so long as they don't treat you like crap because they do not agree with you or vice versa because sometimes we're compromising people's emotional safety (laughs) and and, and this is hard as a disabled person because man oh my god we get so much pushback about the way that we do things um about the time we take to do things about our approaches to doing things about the people we ask because people will get mad that you didn't ask them and all this other stuff When you say like honoring what's important to me, it's like honor that I can prioritize for myself. I don't need you to non-disabled people. Hello. Honor that my sense of freedom, my sense of independence as a disabled person is important to me. My sense of autonomy. Right. Like these when you say honor what's important to me, it's like these are the things that people do not often honor when it comes to disabled folks. Right. I just had a situation yesterday. It goes hand in hand with autonomy and just basically respect the fact that I'm capable. I was at the BMV getting a new license and I had several instances where the clerks wouldn't speak to me. They kept speaking to my brother. Of course, we've gone over that. Then I had this one instance where the woman I was getting my picture taken after she and I had had a conversation I sit down on the chair to get my picture taken and she tells my brother, sir, can you adjust her head? Stop. Yeah. My brother was like, I was about to beat this woman's ass. <laughs> I was like, can you adjust all, all like you're a doll? Like you're a prop? I was like, what do you want me to do with my head? And she was like, can you just tilt your chin down? And then when I was done, she goes, she did a good job, sir. 
Olivia, you did a good job. Please don't treat me like a fucking dog or a three-year-old who didn't cry after getting her shots. Treat me like the adult human I am, the capable adult human that I am. Yes, I'm blind, but that is literally it. So that's the first boundary. Oh, yeah, that's just one. Yeah. Uh, The next one is sharing personal information gradually. Mm -hmm. I had a Mm -hmm. problem with this. And as disabled people, people do not respect that. They come up and ask you, how did you become disabled? Why don't you do X, Y, Z? Is there a cure for that? And and they feel entitled to your story. And it's like, if you don't want to give it to them, then they get offended like you owe them. And that's just not the case. What's your take? With disabled people, the unfortunate thing is there's a few different aspects to this because not only do we have people asking us for our personal information and feeling entitled to it, we also have family and friends who feel like they can say whatever about us to whoever and they can share our medical information Mm -hmm. with whoever. With whoever, without checking. Without checking with me. And I'm just like... Can you not? I was with my mom recently at a little festival, and I don't know what the hell happened in her head, but she was telling these different people we were speaking to, these different vendors at this festival. She was like, oh, she lives just over wherever. And I'm like, where? What? Why are you telling people where I live? And she's like, oh, she works at the blah, blah. And I'm like, why are you telling people where I work? And then she was like, oh, she has prosthetic eyes. And I'm like, What is wrong with you? Why are you telling these random people these personal pieces of information about me? Like, yes, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you know I have prosthetic eyes. That's very different. Us sharing personal information here does not mean you can just tell everybody that and just volunteer that information in a setting where it's not fucking relevant. Like, why do they need to know that my eyes are fake? I'm like, mom, if you want to share information... Please talk about yourself. Stop talking about me. Because she just kept volunteering these different pieces of personal... I do not like that. Like, when you're telling people where I live and where I work, like, I have been stalked by people. Not because of her, obviously. But when you're going around sharing information like that, I'm just like, this is making me feel... Uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And you're taking a sense of power away from me. You're taking that control that I have over my personal information and who gets access to it and who doesn't. You're taking that away from me by volunteering that. And the same goes with medical information. People don't need to know that. I don't mind somebody telling, like when new people start at my job, they're like, oh, this is Raven. She's blind. I don't mind anybody telling anybody that there. It's something that people need to know for my safety more than anybody else's. That's one thing. But if you go into like, oh, Raven's blind because she had blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And this, and it's just like, they do not need to know that. If that happens to come up in conversation at some point, whatever. But it's not your business to be sharing that. And that sucks. As disabled people, sometimes we get taught to overshare our personal oh. stories because our families do it, especially those of us who grew up disabled. Our families do yeah. it. And so we kind of pick up that torch and then start telling everybody our story when like, they don't need to know that. That used to be me. I was a chronic overshare. It wasn't until I was maybe in my mid 20s that it started to occur to me that not everybody needs to be privy to my story. One it's not necessarily a great one. So I don't need to be giving those intimate details to perfect strangers just because they ask. And two, 
what does my getting here have to do with who I am right now in this present moment? You learning how I lost my sight has nothing to do with why you're checking me out at the store today or while we're on the same bus or while we're in the same class. There's nothing to do with that. And so what I started to tell people, you know, I'm like, maybe one day I'll tell you because they leave with that shit. They were like, so how'd you go blind? Maybe one day I'll tell you if we get to know each other that well. I say to people, I don't share my medical information with people I don't know. That's fair. The other thing that people don't realize, because my mom's like, what's what's wrong with telling people you have prosthetics? I'm like, mom, because people will ask a bunch of questions. Now people want to know the whole backstory and all these other details about my life that is not their business. It's not their business how I went blind. It's not their business how it affects me now. And, oh, you live alone and all this. People just start asking a bunch more questions. None of which is their business. Or you tell people you're blind sometimes and then people treat you worse. People treat you so terribly now that you've shared you've got a disability, like especially over the phone. I don't know what that is. But I've been on the phone doing something and somebody asked me a question and my mom's in the background. Tell them you're blind. Tell them you're blind. Tell them you're blind. And I was like, please stop. And then after I got off the phone, I was like, mom, sometimes you tell people you're blind and then all of a sudden they can't help you. That's true. That breaks their whole brain. And now they think we can't even fucking interact because I'm blind. I'm like, no, I will share that before as I see fit. If I know it can work in my favor, you don't always know. But uh, for me. For example, over the phone, I'll tell people, like, if I have to read off something, I'm like, give me a moment, I'm visually impaired, and it takes me a minute to read. Yes, of course. And so people are like, oh, that's fine. That's the best response you can get. Like, oh, no worries. Take your time. I love that. When you get the patronizing bullshit, not cool. Don't you have somebody who can help you that Man. immediately right away? Can you put your personal assistant on the phone? Somebody asked me that when I said I was blind. You paying for one? Well, I wish I had a personal assistant. Um, There is not one here. My personal assistant is... Me. Me. (laughs) I was like, she's on the phone right now. This is... Hi. Hi, this is Raven's personal assistant. Also Raven. (laughs) (laughs) So, boundary number three is protecting your time by not over committing. This is a big deal for... Anybody with any sort of disability. Oh, my God. Say you're a person with like chronic fatigue. You might agree to something on Friday, you know, the Thursday before. But by the time you get to next Friday and it's time for the thing, your body just can't. So having people who understand that is key. And then for me as an introvert, sometimes I'm just like, okay, this ain't cool a couple of days ago, but now I'm just not feeling it. So... I'm going to have to bow out gracefully and having people who understand like, oh, no, I get it. Instead of like basically trying to penalize you for basically taking time for yourself and listening to your body and saying your body, your brain is saying, "Uh uh-uh. And some people take that real personally. Yes. Making your boundaries about them. Making Mm -hmm. your boundaries about them. I do think with time commitment, I brought up crip time earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. That's essentially a concept that describes the fact that as disabled people, there are a lot of times where we take longer to do certain things or it takes us longer to complete certain tasks, whatever. Mm -hmm. People don't understand that when we when we make certain commitments, 
it does take up more time. And so when we're structuring our day, structuring our week, whatever, I don't have the same amount of wiggle room that you do because something is going to take me more time. And I don't know, this could even be your work day. There are some things at work that take me more time than my non-disabled counterparts. I don't expect people to understand, but I need you to understand with my time commitments and the way that I distribute my commitments throughout the day that there are certain things that are going to take me longer. And the introvert thing is huge because there are things I don't commit to just because I know people are like, oh, we're doing this with the family and I can't transport myself there, right? I, I am relying on somebody else to get there. And my preference is I would like to be there with the family, but only for a half hour. But I don't get to make that yes. choice because I didn't bring me. And so I'm like, no, didn't bring yourself. no, I am not going because I know I'm going to be stuck there. I'm going to be stuck there. And I'm at the mercy of who's ever transported me. And that could be Ooh. for three hours or upwards of six hours. And really... I would like to be there for half hour, ideally, no more than an hour. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, no, I am not going to that. I and the same thing. We get dragged into that as disabled people, like growing for up, sure. you have no choice as a child no. or whatever a lot of the time. And so we're kind of forced to overcommit mm -hmm. in that way and really mm -hmm. stretch ourselves and withdraw from bandwidth we don't have. I agree. I remember when I first started using rideshare. Mm. And luckily for me, I live in a place where it's fairly prevalent because that, that matters. And I have the funds to afford it majority of the time. When say the family would have something, I'd be like, y'all going over at two, I'll be over at six because that's what I want to be there. And then I'll leave at eight because that's the time frame I want to be there. Whereas if you don't have that option, you are stuck, like you said. And also I wanted to tap into the whole going back to crypt time. I think about the time that it took me. My job was only like six, seven miles from my house, but I would have to leave like an hour, hour and a half early. Oh, man. Yes. Just to get there on time. And that's factored into I charge it to the game when it comes to work. Right. And because I'm like, I'm doing this because I have to go to work. Whereas people can, you know, my friend would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I live 10 miles away and I left at 645 or 650 and I got here at like 703. Why? Because they're in control of that and they can run upstairs. And as long as they clock in by 705, they're good. Meanwhile, I've been on the bus since 5.55 a.m. and I'm getting there at 6.56 or some shit like that. You know what I mean? So people with disabilities, we have to factor that in. Oh, yeah, that transportation time. Oh, my God, that makes no sense. And that eats your day. And that really eats at does. your mental energy, too, when you it have really to does. be sitting on a bus for an hour and a half to get somewhere that's only six or seven miles away or 10 miles or whatever it is that eats at your mental energy. And so really when you're does. done with all of that, I don't want to commit to other stuff. And I need you to not shame me for that. I need you to not. There are yeah. times, I think it was last week or the week before last, I was so mentally tapped out after going to work. I just came in the house and I sat down. I didn't want to do anything. I'm so happy we did not agree to record that day because I would have had nothing for you. Because I was just done. That doesn't happen every day. And like when I used to live by myself and I would go, I would save Saturdays to do grocery runs. 
after interacting with people, navigating, doing all that stuff, I would come in the house a couple hours later because it took me forever to walk everywhere and then get assistance and do all that comes along with that and deal with the fucking discriminations and the microaggressions that come along with that. I would go back to my apartment and just sit in the fucking dark for like 20 minutes and just sit there and then put my groceries away because I had to regroup. So overcommitting is really fucking easy to do. Yeah, it's it's easy to do as disabled people because people expect us to have your standard flexibility with time that non-disabled people have. And we don't we don't have that same flexibility and freedom with our time. So it is easy for us to overcommit as we learn to balance what our limits are insofar as our disability is related or what our limits are insofar as our personality is related, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about how we're introverts. People who are extroverts are not going to have these fucking issues. And I don't consider it a problem for me personally. It just is. It's not good or bad. It's like, yeah, I have to keep that in mind when I make commitments. Like, am I going to want to do that that day? Exactly. There's a friend actually who asked me, like, hey, you want to hang out on this day? And it was something after work. And I was like, listen, for people who don't know, I work full time, but I'm at 32 hours. But somebody is leaving on vacation. That means I'm going to be back up at 40. And that's something that I said I'm okay with doing. But I was like, listen, man, I'm not doing nothing after work when I'm doing 40 hour work weeks. Like, (laughs) no, I was like, you got to get with me on a day off because I don't have it. I feel it. Our fourth boundary is asking for space when you need alone time. This is super important to me. As an introvert, I need my alone time to recharge, to process. It's integral to my well-being. And having people who understand that is just super important. Hell, actually think about the people who do need personal assistance for, you know, going to the bathroom and eating and stuff like that. Do those folks, I mean, you have different personalities, you've got extroverts, introverts as well, but like, I would imagine not knowing firsthand, but I would imagine your alone time could very well be compromised because you can't have it in the same way that somebody who does not need that type of assistance can have it. Yeah. I even think this applies to asking for just quiet. I don't even necessarily need you to leave me alone insofar as don't occupy the same room as me. But sometimes I just want people to shut up. Shut up. I cannot believe the people who feel like they need to occupy every moment with another person with speaking. I'm like, you know that it is possible for us to sit in this car right now together and just be together and you do not have to talk. I have a theory. Yes. My theory is people who don't like silences have issues with their own thoughts. Ooh. I, could be I think that's a good point. I, I am going to agree with that. <laughs> Cause why because why aren't you comfortable just sitting with your own thoughts? What's wrong right. with that? People who feel the need to constantly fill the silence with chatter or radio or something is like they cannot abide what goes on in their heads. So they got to get out of their heads in some way. I even think at work, somebody was shadowing me and I was doing something where I was helping people fill out some paperwork Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really speaking to the people. I mean, I greeted them and I'm like, hey, this is your paperwork here. These are the pages you need to sign. And I just stood there and quietly waited for them to finish filling out their paperwork. 
And afterward, the person who was shadowing me, I was like, that's really awkward that you just stand there quietly. And I'm like, why? Is it, though? I guess I don't know. Like, is it awkward for me to just stand there while people fill out paper? I'm waiting for you to... Listen, this is the reason you showed up. You didn't actually show up to speak to me. And I guess, like... This is the introvert slash raven being realistic thought process that I have. They didn't show up to speak to me. I mean, yeah, is it cool if you actually have something cool to say or cool to talk about? Yes, there are times where people are filling out their paperwork and I'm not standing there. I'm asking them questions and sharing stories or whatever. But there's times where I'm not particularly interested in speaking. I might not be feeling the greatest. I'm just like, listen, we're going to get this over. We're going to fill out this paperwork for 10 minutes and then it's done. We don't need to drag it out. Let's wrap this up. I don't know. And I'm not going to say that. I don't feel the need to just always be talking. Oh, my God. Shut up, everybody. Just shut up sometimes. It's a matter of reading the situation. Like, you know, sometimes where a few words might be necessary. And then, you know, sometimes when they just aren't. Like, I know, for example, when I get into like ride shares or when I used to take paratransit, I was that person would get on the bus say hello, do the little requisite back and forth for like, you get three minutes max. Then I'm done. Like I have nothing else to say to you. You're working. I'm writing. We don't need to keep this going. But some people feel like it's personable to talk to people. But I'm like, is it necessary? I don't know. I'm with that. It's not like if you start talking to me, I'm not going to ignore you or anything. Exactly. No, no, no. If if there's just not a conversation or there's a lull in conversation or whatever, it's like, We can take a few minutes to think. People don't like to think. How do you want to run your mouth all the time? At my job, actually, I think alone time is important. My job, I love it. But I work with animals. It's a lot of noise. And I like it for better or worse. But that also means that I need a moment to breathe. And to me, alone time is really important. There has been times where somebody will ask me to do something and I'll be like, give me 10 minutes. And it's not because I'm doing something else. It's because I need 10 minutes to just sit there and regroup. Mm -hmm. I don't have any shame in saying that or asking for that. None. Because that's how I get through my workday. I don't need to go, go, go nonstop at the sacrifice of my mental and emotional well-being. Fuck that. Right. I feel it. The last boundary is communicating your comfort level on intimacy. Now, there's different types of intimacy. Insofar as it relates here, I think personal space is the form of intimacy I'm thinking of because Mm -hmm. with disabled people, we've talked about it before. People talk about it all the time on like the social media that I see where people have no shame invading upon our personal space and just grabbing Mm -hmm. us and manhandling us. Or, or pulling us or tools. dragging dragging us. I'm just like, you know, we can interact without you touching me at all. And oh. then when you speak up about it, right? Because this here's the, where the communication Ooh, aspect comes yeah. in. People get very offended. They Again, they make so your boundaries offended. about them. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to be nice. I was just trying to help. And I'm like, well, you can be nice and helpful and not touch me. And also not invade my personal space. I did not ask you to touch me. And sometimes you don't even ask anybody to help you. They just are doing what they think is helpful. It's not actually. People do this quite often and then they get offended when you say, hey, listen, I don't want you to touch me. I've said that to people or like, hey, can you do this this way? You know, you want them to do it in a way that's not them grabbing you and they don't respect that. They want to help you the way they They want to help you. Um, or they, they want to direct you. Into consideration. you. Yeah. 
I had an issue with this. Like my family does this a lot where they think they can just grab me. And I'm like, well, you can direct me and you can guide me without grabbing me. We have to set those boundaries because people do this to us all the time. And it's like there have been so many times where I don't say anything. And I'm just like, okay, I don't have a kind way to put get your hands off me right now. And this is my friend doing this. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to let it ride. But there's so many times where I'm like, nope, 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 nope. We're not walking like this. You're not. No. So it's so important for us to communicate in that way. And so that's why I found that boundary to be applicable here. I wanted to talk about, too, how I think to some extent, bouncing off of that last boundary there, disabled people are discouraged from From setting boundaries boundaries, or even being deserving of emotional and personal space. And I would take it a step further. I say disabled women in particular. Yes. Have even more issues setting boundaries and things of that nature. Like I think about if I'm in a ride chair and the driver's going the wrong way and it's a man, I had to think about my safety, not only as a woman, but as a disabled person. Like how is this person going to react to a woman telling him he's going the wrong way? And moreover, how is he going to react to a disabled woman telling him he's going the wrong way. So it's like, how do I navigate the situation where I come out safe and Mm -hmm. quite frankly, alive? Yeah. And I think with women, there's all these different horrible messages that we get taught growing up where like, it's not polite to say no, or it's not polite to tell somebody, can you step back? I mean, I have had to say that to people because like, there are some people like they follow you and they follow too closely. I've dealt with this at work where somebody is shadowing me and they're just like walking so close to me and maybe to them it's not close but to me it is i'm like listen i need you to not walk that close to me for my safety and yours because i move fast so if i turn around i don't want to be i don't want to be up on you and create an uncomfortable situation but also i don't want to hurt you (laughs) right i mean i have done this unfortunately by mistake but people don't get taught healthy ways to set boundaries either it's like there there is a way to set boundaries also people don't get taught to respect it because it's like if i say no yeah that's the end of it or back off or don't touch me or like hey can you do this this way you don't look at it as a boundary. You look at it as somebody correcting you. And now you got your fucking feelings hurt because I you asked you to like hurt. not interact with me or because I asked you to interact with me in a different way than what you thought was correct. I think about there was a few people that I saw. They were all disabled women. They happened to all be at least blind. I think some of them had other disabilities as well. They talked about, you know, being at the bus stop. And getting sexually assaulted, like somebody touching their breast or their butt or something like that. And how do I respond to this? You know, I think the one woman, she did say that she said something that guy was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And nobody else around would like basically say anything. You know what I mean? You've got, I mean, that as a woman in general, but then you've got that as a person with a disability on top of it, that people feel like they can just violate you in ways like that. And there's no recourse. Yeah, there's no recourse. People see us as easier to take advantage of, which I think is all the more reason why it's so important for us to set boundaries. There was one time, I'm not going to call this sex assault, but it was uh, very uncomfortable where a guy was helping me. 
And the way he decided to guide me was he put his hand on the small of my back. Oh, no. And I actually pushed his hand off of me because I'm like, yeah, this is not the time to be nice. No, I don't care how you perceive that. This is not the time to be like, well, what is he going to think? And it was a professor, actually, college professor at the college I was going to. And he's like, I was just trying to help you. And I said, you had your hand on the small of my back. I am going to give you the benefit of the doubt here and say you did not intend to touch me inappropriately, but that is inappropriate regardless. That is inappropriate. <laughs> I'm about to break That's it down for you, baby, but at first, hands Listen. off. First, I'm pushing your hand off. I'm not asking uh-huh. you. I'm not going to wait to see. No, get your hand uh-huh. off me. You just touched me inappropriately. Exactly. I'm doing what I need to do to dissolve that physical interaction right away. You don't deserve respect in that instance. No. That ties back into self-worth and knowing that you're allowed. Like you said earlier, we're taught saying no is impolite. And as a person with a disability, you want to not alienate the people that could possibly help you. So instead of you saying, oh, I will alienate people like you if it means I get my self-respect. Some people don't ever come to that realization ever, especially young disabled people. Yeah. I think it's great that you were able to be like, ah, what the fuck? There's so many more people who don't feel like that's an option for them. Yeah, they think think they have to just tolerate that or you don't want to make a scene, right? We've talked about this before. That was me, y'all. I was not make a scener, okay? Yes, yeah. I I mean, because we get taught that. Don't be dramatic. You don't want to make a scene. You don't want to embarrass somebody else. You don't want to embarrass all this stuff Mm -hmm. that, man, I can work through embarrassment. Fuck that. (laughs) Come on. That's not the worst thing in the world. I I can live with it. But we get taught that these are such negative things that we mm-hmm. prioritize how other people will be affected over our own confidence and our own safety and our own comfort level as disabled people, knowing that inherently, I don't like to say this, this is not a comfortable thing for me to say. Mm-hmm. It is usually the case that we are at a disadvantage as disabled people. It's true. In it's almost icky, every situation true. that we're in. And I hate saying that, but that is the case. And so it only puts us in danger to prioritize other people's emotions and feelings over our own in situations regarding our independence. You know, how somebody Mm -hmm. is helping us, how somebody is supporting us or providing for us. That is the time for us to be the most vocal. And that is the time we get the most shit for it, though. Oh, yeah. Because people think you should just be grateful for whatever crumbs you get and for whatever I think you need and not for what actually is helpful to you and what mm-hmm. you know to be supportive to you as a disabled person. Oh, 100% agree. Another thing that a lot of us think about as disabled folks too when we interact with people is like what impact is it going to have on the disability community at large? Oh my gosh. What the <laughs> I fuck? That. We are not <laughs> I will never forget when I was training to get my guide dog. Yes. The instructors told a story about this woman who she was one to not take shit from anybody. So I think like, you know, how sometimes people come up and pet your dog. She's like, do not touch the dog. And so people were like, oh, how, you know, how aggressive. And then she shortly thereafter, she like ran into a rack of something or something and knocked everything down. And the instructor was like, basically what they said was they didn't feel bad for her because they did not approve of how she 
rebuked the people who was touching her dog earlier. And they kind of alluded to the fact that she deserved it. They were like, that's not a good representation of guide dog users. And I'm like, um, what the actual fuck? Just because she told people not to touch her dog and she wasn't all saccharine sweet about it does not mean she's a poor representation of guide dog users. And she didn't do anything wrong, per se. She just wasn't like, oh, please don't touch the dog. He's poor. She did not sit down and have a whole fucking lesson with them. She didn't have to. But the fact is, is that a lot of times people are like, and we do this in the Black community too, right? Like, oh, if the one person does X, Y, Z, for example, when Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. Yeah. Yes. Everybody's like, they're making a Black community look bad. But, but, but Why? How is that indicative of the entire Black fucking community? Same situation. How is this woman's reaction or how she told people not to touch her dog? How is her interaction with those people indicative of every freaking guide dog user, service dog user in the country? How are you equating those two? I don't know what this is. Why do people prioritize the feelings of people being disrespectful in the first place? And somehow my reaction to that is what gets called into question or called to the carpet or criticized. Like, make it make sense. That does not make sense to me. I should not owe you respect for disrespecting my boundaries, for crossing my personal boundaries, for putting my safety at risk. I don't owe you respect for that. No. You need to preach, preacher. This is the same society that says respect is earned. Y'all don't know what y'all saying half the time. Like y'all just be saying shit because it sounds good and not because it fucking makes sense. You were just fucking regurgitating shit. You don't know what the fuck you're saying or you have no concept of what it means. That's terrible that to have that in the back of your mind is a responsibility that should not be put onto any of us. I agree. You are responsible for yourself, your safety first, because let me tell you. When your safety is at risk or in danger, all these different people whose feelings you are thinking about ain't going to be there to help you. They won't. You're thinking about this nebulous they out there Mm -hmm. who like they can't be there to help you. And stop giving so much of a fuck. The way I see it is I'm going to stand up for myself first. And then if you want to break it down afterward, we can do it. I'm okay with processing my responses and rethinking approaches to advocacy and all this stuff. I'm all about it. Let's go. But I'm going to do it the way I know how first. And then we can break it down afterward because... We'll refine the process later. Exactly. Because um, ultimately, I have to stand up for my emotional safety, my personal safety, my physical safety, the safety of my information, all of this stuff. No one is going to do it I was about to say that. as well as I can. No one. No one. And you're deserving of those boundaries. You're deserving of respect as a person with a disability. doesn't matter what your disability is. You deserve to set those boundaries and stand up for yourself. And if the people don't like it, then they just don't like it. They're going to be all right. This actually kind of plays into representing the community at large. But I guess the thing we do have to keep in mind as disabled people, black people, a lot of different marginalized groups, is there are stereotypes, negative misconceptions about the communities that we belong to. And so sometimes we do have to come across in a certain way that counters those stereotypes when we interact with people, uh, when we are seeking support or help from other people. 
uh, one of the things that you brought up in our discussion is that idea of making yourself smaller, right? Making yourself seem non-threatening or not off-putting. I have personal experience with that because, again, it's to garner the help that I need. And I know that, for example, even with interacting with people and holding the views that I do as a person with a disability, I've in the past felt as though I couldn't truly express how I felt to certain people because then they would not be willing to help me. I've experienced this in recreational settings and even in like educational settings and things like that. I've found myself changing how I speak, like making my voice higher and more tight and like scrunching down and not even like noticing it. Like I'll hear it. I think I I left you that message right after I had made a call or something. And I remember I went from talking like this which I feel is pretty like standard, my voice. Yeah. To, um, okay, uh, can I, like that. And I'm just like, I'm hearing myself do this. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? But I'm like, I know why this is just, it's so hard to unlearn because I've got to talk a different way. I've got to present a different way in order to A, get the help that I need and then B, get it quickly. I've done that with drivers. I've done that with people assisting me at at stores and stuff like that. Because I'm like, if I don't, are they going to help me? Or things like that. And that's not everyone, right? But it is a thing that I noticed that I've done. I don't like it. So I'm trying to not do that. But I've done it for so long in advocating, (laughs) if you could call it that, in garnering services and assistance for myself. I've done it in that manner. So it's going to be very hard to unlearn. But uh, I'm not the only one. Right. So I used to do what you were talking about, where if I wanted help from someone or wanted someone to be more sympathetic to me, my voice would go way up Mm -hmm. in pitch. I listen to it now and it almost sounds like a different person. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a YouTube video out there of me giving an entire speech in that higher pitched voice. Oh, my. For a nonprofit. I don't even know if I could mimic it right now. I mean, my voice has such a wide range, whatever, like you can hear it listening to this podcast. So I stopped doing that. And part of that is a result, actually, of voice coaching that I did. And I didn't realize I was doing it until I took the voice lessons. Mm -hmm. So I stopped doing that. But what I do now, I still, I'm not going to call it making myself smaller, but I'm going to call it making myself less threatening. Mm -hmm. I attempt to. By speaking more quietly. So I do this a lot with white people. I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. Especially like white people who are not close to me. Mm. Or if I'm in a disagreement with someone, I will do this. So what I will do is I will talk like this. I will talk very quietly. (laughs) And I take all of the force out of my voice. And I just talk like this. I just take all of the force and emphasis out of my voice because people are like, oh, you're so abrasive. Like people have said that shit to me. And I'm like, it's because you speak with uh, confidence. Like, I think that's wild, especially when yeah. it's a woman. They're like, if you speak with confidence, you're abrasive. Yes. And if you speak like, with confidence, mm. you're abrasive. And I can't help that society thinks that way. I'm not going to be able to change that. So the, right. the thing that I do is I change my voice to be I don't want to say less confident, but again, less emphatic. That's just what I decide to do. 
for the longest time between the talking in the super high pitched voice and then talking quieter, I didn't do anything and got more of those comments, the you're you're so abrasive stuff. I've gotten that from a bunch of people. My mom has said to me, everything you say sounds like it has a fuck you at the end of it, even if you're not swearing. And I'm not going to be able to help that. That's not my problem. That's people's interpretation. I'm not responsible for your interpretation. No, no, I'm not. Unless you're being patronizing or saying fuck you, right? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, whatever. So, yeah, that's what I decide to do is I just speak more quietly. And Mm. like I said, I remove all the emphasis out of my voice to make people feel more sympathetic or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know why it matters. Honestly, it it bothers me that it does matter, but... I'm going to move in the world in the way to get what I need, what I need to get, because otherwise people want to play these fucking games. And again, put their feelings in situations where it's like, God, it didn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be there. Your feelings don't need to be here. Well, I don't necessarily think I sound like many mouse on helium. I don't have the fullness of your voice. So for me, I do that shit. And it's so I don't know. I think it's a mindset thing, too, because you're like, okay, here we go. Because right now, I have nothing to prove. I'm just talking to you. You're my friend. If I'm in a different situation, I'm in a different headspace. And all of a sudden, I'm like up here. Hi, my name is Olivia. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, if I can take the time to objectively listen to myself, I'm like, what are you doing? But I don't even notice it. I don't even notice it while it's happening, usually. So then I'm like, oh, got to. I mean, I'm not going to be down here because <laughs> I don't talk like that. But at the same time, it's indicative of how I feel like I need to change who I am as a person with a disability and a black woman a with black a disability woman, yeah. to get what I need. And it's just messed up. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, we do have to play that game. Yeah. Because we can't afford for people to... um not help us sometimes, right? Right. Like we need a lot of assistance. And so I play the game of what do I need to do without compromising who I am, right? I mean, I'm not willing to do anything to get help. But what are some simple things that I can change about myself to garner more sympathy and support so that a person feels more comfortable with helping me? Unfortunately, that's necessary, I think. That's necessary. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us. I squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.